Welcome. We only have less than four weeks of class. That's going to be two, five, seven. We have 10 more classes, more or less, nine more classes. It is kind of depressing, but if you are interested in continue, continuing your Hebrew Roots study, we offer something called Hebrew Roots 2. It's not an official class, but if you will sacrifice one lunch per week on a Tuesday and come in here, go out and get your lunch, have somebody bring it to you, go eat in the cafeteria, <laughs> yeah, right, and bring your lunch here, we'll keep studying and we'll keep going with this. And only former Hebrew Roots students are allowed. All right. Y'all, this is a super uh, short lesson. I said that the other day and I lied. It is a short lesson and we can do what we want after that. If you want to keep going, I've got another thing on my mind that I'd love to share with you. But this one is called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea uh, Philippi. Philippi. Uh, son. His son? Mm-hmm. Okay. We are in Mark chapter 8. And there's a parallel to this story in Matthew 16. If you can never read a story that's also told in any of the other gospels without reading their accounts, because it always adds a lot of uh, flesh on the bones. It puts a lot of meat on the bones. So in Mark chapter 8, let's read, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, uh, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do y'all say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are Hamashiach. You are the Messiah. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or for what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Kind of a strange little story. We've heard it so much. We're very familiar with this story. So we go, oh yeah, yeah. This is the take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me passage. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, I, I got it. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Man, I gotta go die soon. And Peter says, 
you get that filthy talk out of your mouth right now, mister. And he starts rebuking Jesus like he's some little kid. And Jesus turns around and rebukes him. It's just kind of a strange thing. But if you don't know what Caesarea Philippi is, this story just has about as much impact as it just did, probably, which is very little. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is 27 miles north of Bethsaida. 27 miles north of Bethsaida, where many of the disciples live. Have you ever walked 27 miles? I've walked 30 miles, and it took me all day. And we were at Yellowstone uh, National Park. It was awesome. We started at our base camp and we went to Clouds Rest. Can you imagine how high up that was? Called Clouds Rest. The clouds rested on the mountain and then we walked back down to camp. It was awesome. It was a 30 mile round trip. So it's possible, but it takes all day from sunup to sundown. Now, Caesarea Philippi is not only 27 miles north of Bethsaida, it is pagan, it is Gentile. And it happens to be the world capital of depravity and abhorrent, unmentionable sexual and religious practices. Okay? The capital, the Mecca of all things sexual and depravity at its worst. So the question should be, why in the world does Jesus take 12 teenagers and go to that place? Well, this is your rabbi and mine using his surroundings and taking advantage of a teachable moment, I think, to bring his listeners closer to God's way of life. So we climbed to the top of Caesarea Philippi when I got to go in 2009 and again in 2013. After Jesus had the life-changing faith lesson recorded for us in Matthew 16, he waits six days and then he takes three disciples to the top of a holy mountain. Okay? Those are Peter's words in 2 Peter 1.18. Mount Hermon is right here, okay? It wouldn't have been Mount Tabor then, the traditional site, since a Roman fort was there actually at that time. This place would be akin to the red light district in Amsterdam. I don't know that you've ever been there. I hope not. But certainly you've probably heard of the red light district in Amsterdam. Prostitution is legal, um, they don't have posters up to say, come in and see the live dancing and the live shows. They have people in the windows acting out what you can also see inside as a living slideshow. And um, kind of to Las Vegas. Uh, it takes Las Vegas and makes Las Vegas look like chump change. We're talking about orgies in windows people actually committing the acts that you can go inside and see. Every kind of sexual practice with every kind of 
thing you can imagine is what you can find in Amsterdam, in the red light district, okay? That's, that's this place. That's Caesarea Philippi. Yeah. Okay. Um, this place was the capital of Pan worship. Pan. P-A-N. Pan is... Yes, exactly. Pan worship convened on this mountain right here at Caesarea Philippi. It was horrible. It was disgusting. It was perverted. It was unimaginable and hardly mentionable without getting blushed and, and embarrassed. But some of the pan worship still exists today in, in some Asian cultures. It's really bad. It's really erotic. And it might involve mating with goats. Okay? A panic, if you're panicked, a panic was a parade. Pandemonium, you've heard, it's pandemonium! Well, there's two words in there, pan and demonium. And you can hear all demons. Okay? So pan worship was not very nice. It involved people uh, having intercourse with animals, especially goats. Mm -hmm. Because Pan is the God that is half goat, half man. You saw some Pan figures in Narnia, that first guy that's, that's a half goat, half man, although he's a good one. He's not <laughs> supposedly in the movie. But here in Mark chapter 8, you're going to have to use your imaginations a little bit to see the story behind the text. Imagine you're one of the 12 and Jesus says, all right, let's go. Get your stuff. Ready? And somebody invariably says, Rabbi, where are we going? And what do you think he says? No way. He would never, the rabbi would never tell you where we're going. His answer is always, his answer is always what Jesus was. Either that or come and see. In other words, shut up. You'll see when we get there. Okay? So, man, they're walking. First mile, second mile. Gee, I wonder where we're going. Why are we on this road north of Bethesda? I don't know. And all the disciples are talking. Jesus is just walking out in front. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And this whole band of 12, they're, geez, I wonder if we're going to turn off here, turn off there. Because you know what my dad said is, up here, if we go far enough, what? Says the real Philippi. What? Are you serious? Yeah. You know what's there? Somebody said they saw somebody have sex with a goat. Oh, gross, man. You're so stupid. Punch. Oh, quit. You can just hear all this conversation going with the disciples. We've got to imagine this. All right. So you can see, you can hear this band of teenagers. Well, you didn't know that Caesarea Philippi was this place either. But if Jesus says, and the text clearly says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. That would be like, and Jesus got all the holy disciples and they got on a plane headed for the strip in Las Vegas. You'd be like, what? Why? What would you do there? You know, they're going to take in some shows and like, what? This is crazy. So that's what Mark, I think, intended for us to read. But you and I, modern Western Christians, oh, they went to 
Caesarea Philippi. Oh, I bet that's a nice place, honey, don't you? Mm, I'm sure it is, darling. Um, who do people say that I am? And we just read the text. But as we use our imaginations, you're on that road going north from Bethsaida. The only thing actually up there is Caesarea Philippi. And you can hear this band of teenagers like snickering and laughing and giggling and wonder if, if they're really going where it looks like they're going. Like, no way. Way. Do you think Jesus would take us there? Jesus, man, that dude does crazy stuff. Yes, I do think he would take us there. And Peter's like, y'all be quiet. Be mature, like me. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know, Peter's the oldest. And um, as they reach the crest of the hill that looks down into the valley, Jesus asks them, hey, guys, look at me. And the disciples turn around and they're like, who do, who do people say that I am? Uh, John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, one of the prophets of old. Who do y'all think that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, I got this one. <laughs> and he says, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. And Peter gives him the highest compliment that any Talmud can receive from his rabbi. The highest. It's a hundred and 50% on a test. It's, a, it's an eight out of seven, right? It's, it's the highest compliment. He says, blessed are you, Kepha Baryona, right? Simon, son of Jonah. His dad's name is Jonah. Jonah means dove. Blessed are you, Simon, son of dove. For flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, nobody told you that. God gave that to you. Now, to be told that your answer was so perfect that God must have given it to you. You know, Peter went, well, you know, I've just been doing some thinking. <laughs> you know, you can see Peter in his big head, right? And God's about to just take him down about four verses later when Jesus rebukes him. But it's really cool because Peter says, yeah, he gets called Satan. He gets from, no human could have possibly told you that. That's, that's only something God could have revealed to you. And Peter's like, that's right. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> okay. You know, maybe I'm not all that great. But it's really awesome how Peter gets that. He gets that. He gets that from God. God says, this is, this is the Messiah, right? So the next part, um, Matthew 16, you got to turn there. Keep your finger in Mark 8. Turn to Matthew 16, and we're going to hear Peter's confession. Okay, verse 13 from Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, well, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you, and that's plural, y'all say that I am. Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now please tell me you understood all those words. Okay, good. 
because that is really hard to understand. And this is where a, an appreciation of all things Jewish really will come in and help us understand pa hard passages like this. First of all, why would people be saying that Jesus is like anybody in the first place? Who do the people say the son of the man is, right? The son of man is. What would you say, Brent? Well, I was going to say it's because of the miracles he's performing. Okay. Yeah, he's somebody. He's, he's got to have the spirit of somebody on him. Um, what's really cool is before Messiah comes, Malachi said Elijah would come. Elijah died hundreds of years before Malachi. But Malachi said before the Messiah comes back, or comes, Elijah will come. So guess what the Jewish people did? They've been waiting for Elijah to come back. All right? Now, see, some people said, John the Baptist, that's Elijah. In fact, Jesus even says in one of the places in the Gospels, he says, if you can accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah, who is to come. Now, I think... Remember when Elisha asked Elijah for a gift? He said, ask me anything you want. Mm -hmm. What did he ask for? Double, Double portion of his spirit to be on me. And so what did he walk around and act like? Elijah. Elijah. He raised widow's son. Wait, Elijah raised a widow's son. So did Elisha. Whoa. You know, he did these miracles just like Elijah did. So when John the Baptist comes on the scene, people say, whoa, that, that's... He looks like, in fact, Mark says, John wore a leather belt around his waist and a, and a garment of animal hair. Do you know the only other man in the entire Bible described as that is Elijah. So Mark wants us to know, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Well, if that's true, then the one that comes after John the Baptist must be the Messiah, right? Also, one of the prophets, in, in, in one of the gospels, it says, uh, who do people say that I am? He said, you're uh, the prophet with a capital P. Your Bible will say the prophet with a capital P. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, after me, there will be a prophet who is just like me, who will come from among you, from among your very brothers. To him, you shall listen. So that prophet was the capital P prophet that all the Jews had been waiting for, the prophet like Moses. Who's the prophet going to be like Moses? He's going to be Messiah. Messiah is going to be like Moses. It's funny, if you look at Jesus' miracles, who's he trying to be like? Moses, who feeds a massive amount of people in the desert with bread from heaven? Moses, Moses does. And so does Jesus when he blesses and breaks the loaves and they get multiplied. He feeds 5,000 men double that, and then add kids, you know, maybe 10, 12,000 people. So that's why Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am? They say you're either one of the prophets, you're like the new Moses, you're, you're the man, you're the guy. Who do you say that I am? And I think Peter said, I think you really are the Messiah. Now, it's funny because we always think Jesus was like, hey, I'm the Messiah. Everybody needs to believe me. Jesus hasn't said anything. He's just done. And he says, be quiet. Don't say anything. And I think that was for reasons of, if you start saying this guy's the Messiah, guess what Rome is going to do? They're going to do what they do best and they're going to stop insurrections. They're going to put 
the smashdown on anybody that is a messianic candidate because that's going to rile up the people and they're going to try to overthrow Rome and it's just going to be a bloodbath. So Jesus says, Shh, let's go about this a different way. All right. Um, there was an earthquake that closed. I, I don't know if you can see this. I took this with a, not a great camera, but this is the same picture just zoomed in, okay? That's the picture I took and then I zoomed it in. Can you see what's carved here? And what's carved here? And what's carved here? Yeah. Of course, there's not windows because this is a mountain. Yeah. Kind of looks like one of those, like in a Catholic church, you know how they have statues? Yes. Of like yes. That's what it looks like to me. And that is very good because this is the way it would have looked in Jesus' day. What we're looking at on this picture is exactly that same mountain. There was a temple to Zeus. There was a temple to Pan, a temple to Augustus Caesar, because this is Caesar Philip, Caesar Philippi. And then there was a courtyard for Pan worship. And this entire valley out here was for Pan worship. And right out of this rock, and I wish our Bibles translated, mine footnotes it, but it doesn't translate it. There was a spring that came gushing forth from this opening right here, that they called, not the Jews, those who lived in Caesarea Philippi, called the gates of Hades. This is the gates of Hades. Why? Because it was a spring. Remember the abyss? Remember where the demons live? In the underworld. How do you get to the underworld? Through the abyss. What's the abyss? Water. So if there's a spring, and this whole thing would flood the entire valley, so there would be mud, knee-high, in that entire valley. And you can imagine if those are people coming to perform their ritualistic sexual duties to Pan out in the valley with their animals, it was just a disgusting, muddy, wallowing around, awful, awful thing. Yeah. Now, uh, in 1879, this Gates of Hades, this underground water source, it was collapsed in, interiorly uh, because an earthquake uh, shook it and it, it closed it off. So it, it trapped that water source. Um, it destroyed every city around Galilee as well in, in 1879. Now, who is with Jesus at this point in the text? Remember Mark 8? Are you back there? Who's with you? Who did he take with him to Caesarea Philippi? Did you say three apostles? That was later on. To Mount, that, that was at the transfiguration. But in this story to Caesarea, and Jesus went on with his disciples. Matthew 16, and I'll turn there and I'll, I'll see what it says, because you always got to read all of the accounts. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he's got, who does he have with him? His disciples. Okay, good. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Look at what the text says in Mark 8, 34. Did anybody catch that the first time I read it? And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. You see how that just whizzes right past us? Because we don't read every word. We don't, we're just so used to reading to get through it, to get the story. What crowd? What crowd? Where does he get a crowd from? Does he pull a crowd out of his pocket? Whoop. There. And Jesus called the crowd to him. 
Where's the only crowd in the entire area? Yeah, they're on top of this mountain. Where's the only crowd? It's Jesus' 12 disciples. The ones that are worshiping Pan. There would have been a crowd, but it wasn't with Jesus and his disciples. Guys, it's really cool because I don't know for sure, but it fits the context. Just listen to this. He said that plainly, and Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. And then he said, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Can you imagine Jesus on top of this mountain? Hey, everybody in the valley, listen. What are the disciples doing at this point? Oh my, oh my gosh. Like, oh gosh, this is so embarrassing. And all these people that are in the middle of their pan worship, their acts of depravity and disgust. And Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, they all know what a cross is, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, he's going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, and he's screaming this from the top of the mountain, for my sake, and the Gospels will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And these people, who knows if they just stopped and said, what are we doing? This is awful. This is a goat. My kids are here. Like, this is disgusting. What, what, is, what is wrong with us, right? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. What can a man give in return for his soul? And remember what the disciples are doing about this time? Yeah. And read the text. And whoever's ashamed of me. See, I think he's looking right at him. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. I'll be ashamed of him when my father comes, when I come in my father's glory and with the holy angels. In other words, you better not be shame, ashamed of me, Jesus says to those disciples who are going, oh my gosh, I don't know where to go. I just, I'm so embarrassed. I mean, I would be so embarrassed. But this is the son of God calling out to some of the sickest, most depraved individuals and saying, you want to be my disciple? Come on, just Stop what you're doing. I don't think Jesus had the disciples watching the depravity. He was wiser than that. But they knew what was going on. And when Jesus starts screaming and yelling, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, this guy. But I love that because it fits the context really well. Jesus says, your name, Petros. Petros. That in Greek means rock. Pebble. And Jesus says, but on this rock, and he uses the word Petra, which is boulder. And that's where they're standing right here. Does Jesus know that this cave, water source is called the gates of Hades? Of course he does. He knows all the history of all the places around there, just like every other kid does. So he says, oh, you may be rocky, but on this rock, 
one day I'm going to build my assembly, not my church, my assembly, my gathering. And you know what? The gates of Hades won't be able to prevail against it. Not even that massive flow of water that's so powerful and destructive that won't be able to do anything to my assembly. And what's really cool is there are churches that are built around <laughs> this Caesarea Philippi today. Um, it's pretty amazing, but I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think Jesus was talking about, you see these people? The gates of Hades will not be able to stop what they're going to become. And they're going to put aside this. They're going to become my disciples. And it came true. Rome, Greece, most of the Western world eventually accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 